Welcome to the Fairview Church Podcast. At Fairview Church, we are dedicated to reaching our neighbors with the true freedom found in full surrender to Christ. To find out more about our church, including service times, location, and current sermon series, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org. Go ahead and move into our time of reading the passage this morning together. It comes from John chapter 15, verses 1 through 9, if you will read this with me. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Dear Father, we are grateful that you are the vine, or that you're the vine dresser. Lord, we're grateful that we can be connected to the one true vine, Jesus. Lord, help us now as we move into a time of uh, reading and understanding your word. Lord, help us to leave here more in love with you than when we came in. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You guys can have a seat. Well, good morning. Uh, For those that might be a guest with us, my name is John Spolino. I am the family pastor here, and it's a delight to to be with you guys this morning and share the Lord, uh, to what the Lord has put on my heart, and to read from John chapter 15, where we're at in our series. Uh, Before we do that, though, I wanted to just extend a happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Listen, last week, for some reason, like almost every guy I talked to was rocking a mustache, okay? It was amazing. Like the mustache game was strong last week. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this, if you're married, but like you can read minds sometimes. So when I got home, Amber looked at me and she was like, you are going to shave and have a mustache. And I was like, you're absolutely right. I am. And so mustache game is strong. So happy Father's Day, especially to those who are rocking some sweet mustaches. Um, this year, this past year, in the, in, the, uh, in the spring, Amber and I decided to start a garden. Now, how many of you guys have gardens out there? You like to garden, you got a garden bed. Yeah, a lot of you out there. Listen, some of you are like, we live in Lebanon. Of course we garden, okay? We're from Tennessee. Amber and I are city people, okay? I grew up in Buffalo. We moved here from D.C., okay? We don't grow things, all right? So this was a big feat for us to dip our toes into gardening. And we did it for two reasons. The first reason was because we thought it could be kind of educational and fun for our kids, right? They can learn how to grow some vegetables. We can learn together as a family. It just seemed like a really fun thing to do. Now, the second and most important reason why we decided, well, I decided, 
decided to do this was just in case there was like an impending doom of like a a zombie apocalypse or something. Because here's the deal. If we ever had to go back to a hunter and gatherer society, I am not a hunter or a gatherer, okay? I am a shopper and... I, we, we, would, I, we would probably die because we would not know how to grow any food. So I thought it's probably good to be able to grow some vegetables. And here's what we've learned. The soil is really important. Soils can carry bacteria and disease. If you have bad soil, you put a plant in there or a vegetable, it will actually just eat it from like the root up. We started getting these little black gnats, which are super annoying as we were doing this. So we had to buy like sticky traps to put in our garden bed. We found out, we did some cilantro. We found out like it was like booming. And we're like, oh, this is awesome. We didn't know that you're supposed to actually cut it off or like it will like kill the plant. So we didn't even prune it. It was just like blowing up and now it's completely dead. Okay, we didn't even know you're supposed to prune stuff. We have zucchini. We didn't know that you need bees to pollinate zucchini so they grow past like two or three inches so they don't like shrivel up and die. We didn't know this. We have a pepper tree that has produced one pepper. And I'm like, this is lame. The amount of money I spent watering this thing for one pepper. I didn't know that you're supposed to take the pepper off so that it knows to produce more more vegetables. All right, here's what I know. Three zucchinis and like one pepper later. Gardening is really, really, really difficult, okay? There is a lot that you need to know, but we do enjoy it. And so then I started thinking through, well, wouldn't it be cool to have grapes? I love grapes. That's one of my favorite uh, things to eat. So I was like, oh, it'd be cool to have a grape plant. Okay, sorry, I don't know what Jonathan's saying. All right, so this is our grape plant. Now here's the deal. Grapes can also be finicky, So for example, if you took a grape that wasn't native to this area or North America and try to plant it into the ground, guess what's going to happen? It's going to die because there's all these types of diseases that it doesn't have immunity to. So what you need to do is take a root or a stalk or a shoot from something that's native, that's already can grow here, that is immune to all the diseases and all the things that are in the ground, and you have to graft the plant into that. How many of you know what grafting is? You all know what grafting is? Yeah, yeah, perfect. Yeah, you take a branch that is not a part of this shoot, you put it together, and then it kind of grows together. But guess what? It eventually gets immunity that the, the, the shoot had. It gets that immunity. Now, what's interesting is when we look at this idea of great plants and vineyards and vines, this is really prevalent throughout all the scripture. We see in the Old Testament, Jesus has this vineyard that he is growing up. He's tending to this vineyard. In the New Testament, we see that Gentiles, those who are not Jews, are grafted in to this vine. And what we see is this. Jesus is this shoot that has immunity from sin that we are grafted into. That when Jesus goes to the cross and we accept what he has done on the cross on our behalf, he takes away our sin and he also gives us this immunity that we are looking for and desiring. But we know that even though we are made clean, as Jesus declares here in John chapter 15, 
I have made you clean because my, I have said so. We know that we can still feel the effects of sin in our life. We can feel what it's like to even sometimes be pruned by the Father. And I think sometimes we can feel that we're not bearing the type of fruit that we're supposed to be bearing. This text in John chapter 15 is an unusual one. There can be some contentiousness on how to interpret this passage. But this morning, this is what I wanted to do. I thought it would be helpful to, especially since it's Father's Day, to recognize some spiritual fathers. And so we're gonna look at this text with a perspective of three early church fathers that lived around the fourth and fifth century. Because all three are going to look at this passage and they're going to emphasize something different. And I think it will help us to get a holistic and complete view on what this passage is trying to communicate. The first, pass, uh, the first uh, church father we're going to look at this morning is John Chrysostom. So we're gonna look at the Chrysostom view this morning. And here's what he emphasizes. He focuses on the pruning process that serves to purify and strengthen their faith, Christian's faith. He focuses on the first few verses. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So abide in me and I in you. If we remember the disciples in John chapter 14 are walking through difficulty. Jesus has told them that he is leaving. They are disheartened. They are sad. They feel very anxious about the future. We have in John chapter Later on in John chapter 14, we see that Jesus promises the Holy Spirit, a helper to come along. He promises peace to them. But he doesn't say here that everything's going to be good after this. He actually is going to tell them that it's gonna become more difficult. And the encouragement to the disciples here is that when you come across difficulty, Don't think that's because God is absent. Sometimes when we go through difficult seasons, we can think that God is somehow over there. And yet what I believe the author John is trying to do is to show us that when we walk through difficulty, the good vine dresser uses it as an opportunity to prune. He uses it as an opportunity to shape you. He uses it as an opportunity to remove the disease or the dead parts of your Christian life. Notice in our text that he doesn't say he prunes off a branch. It tells us that he prunes on the branch. Jesus tells us we are the branch. So when he prunes, he's not pruning here where the vine is. He's pruning along here so that the diseased parts of your life, the parts that sin is infecting you, 
the parts where you find it to be a struggle, the parts that are not making it easy to grow. He wants to remove those things. Pruning is the process of removing parts. And here's the point. Pruning is not selective. Or excuse me, pruning is selective, not arbitrary. When God prunes us, when he looks at our life and wants to prune us and help us grow, it's not as if the vine dresser is just cutting wherever he thinks or just arbitrarily where he wants to. There's a process to it. Did you know in the 21st century, we have machines that can shake almonds out of a tree, that can harvest fruit out of a tree, do all those things, but there's no such machinery that can actually do the job of pruning. It still has to be done by hand. Why? Because you have to expect every leaf. You have to inspect every single branch. You have to look for where the insects are killing it. You have to look for the dead parts and the diseased parts. You have to inspect it. It is a selective process. And what that means for us is that if God is pruning us, it doesn't mean he's doing it arbitrarily. He's doing it on purpose. When God prunes, it is in order for us to grow in our faith. And sometimes that is not an easy thing to go through. Sometimes it actually hurts. Sometimes we have to say goodbye to habits that are not good for us. And it's hard because it's a habit and we need to get rid of it. Sometimes it's a sin that is definitely not good for us, but we're so in love with our sin that we really don't want the vine dresser touching it at all. One author says this about the pruning process and sin in our lives. So deeply planted are the roots of human corruption that even after we are born again, renewed, washed, sanctified, justified, and made living members of Christ, these roots remain alive in the bottom of our hearts. Christ tells us we are clean in our text. I have made you clean. But he also recognizes that there's parts of sin in our life that if they do not go unchecked, if they are not pruned, they will run rampant. And so our first perspective here is focusing on the fact that when the vine dresser works on us, it's for our good. Likewise, there are seasons in life when you plant a vegetable or a fruit or something like that, where they're gonna experience hardship. And what the vine dresser intends to do is prepare the vine for those seasons. Sometimes a vine dresser, in order to sanctify us and prepare us for what's coming ahead, will allow the plant just to starve for water just a little bit. Because when the roots are in need of water, they will dig deeper down in order to find more water. It makes them stronger. And a good vine dresser knows how to balance starving a plant in comparison to 
allowing it to have a little less water so it gets a little bit deeper. God is a God who doesn't pull away in order for you to feel distant. He is a God who in some seasons may say, I'm gonna let you starve a little bit. I'm gonna let you feel like you're a little bit dry in order so you will go deeper and deeper and deeper because there's something coming ahead where you're gonna need deeper roots for it. This is what a good vine dresser does, which leads us then to Cyril's perspective. Cyril of Alexandria lived around the same time, was a a bishop. He focused on the need for believers to remain united with Christ through faith and obedience. He focuses really on verse six. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you, uh, you desire and it shall be done for you. While we don't have time to dive into the greater theological discussion that's here, what we can say is this, that throughout Christian history and these church fathers alike, at minimum, what Cyril is going to to try and describe to us is that the author, John, is warning those that profess faith in Christ. They profess that they are a Christian, a Christ follower, that he is warning those types of people that a faith that does not produce fruit does not glorify God, which we see in verse eight. And fruit or a branch that does not produce as much fruit as it ought to also struggles to glorify God as we see in verse eight. And because there's this warning here about being cut off, we need to ask some vital questions of our passage. First, what does it mean to abide? We're gonna actually skip over that until we get to the um, Augustine view, the Augustinian view. But what does it mean to abide? Secondly, what is the fruit that we are supposed to produce? And third, what happens if I'm not producing fruit? Why or what's the case when I'm not producing fruit? What's going on there? So let's look at the fruit first. Again, we'll talk about abiding in a second. What type of fruit are we supposed to produce? Gregory of Nyssa, in one of his writings, describes it like this. He was also a church father in about the fourth century. He says, how happy such a garden is, whose fruit is made to be like the form of the bridegroom, that is Jesus. This is why the flourishing vineyard says, My grape cluster blooming in its blossom is that true cluster who manifested himself up on the poles of wood, whose blood becomes both drink and salvation to those who are being saved in our good cheer. This is what the Nissen is implying. What is the fruit? Jesus. You wanna know if you're producing fruit? Do you act, behave, think, Talk more like Jesus this year than you did last year. In your marriages, do you love your spouse more like Jesus this year than you did last year? Families, are you raising your kids to love Jesus more this year than you did last year? It's about ourselves. Is there bitterness that we're not willing to let go of that Jesus has been saying, hey, in order to become more like me, you need to let that go. 
The fruit that is described here is not just external fruit. Those things are good. Serving is a good act of fruit. But what uh, the author is trying to show us is this, that the fruit that is produced on the branch should correlate with the type of fruit that the vine is supposed to produce. We would be shocked if I planted this and next year apples showed up. That would be shocking. We just had some friends. They brought some vegetables over because they bought vegetables at this nursery, but they don't eat that vegetables. They mislabeled the vegetables. Imagine that. You grow one plant expecting one thing and then you receive something else. The whole point of the text is this. Our fruit should look like the vine. We should look like the branch or look like the vine as the branch. The goal for the branch is that we should be so interconnected with Christ that you can't actually distinguish the vine from the branch. Galatians 5, 22 says, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of those things, by the way, the fruit of the spirit, while you may see them in outward actions, they actually start inwardly. What I think is sometimes maybe too coincidental, is that people then don't continue reading. They just focus on that. It says, against such things there's no law. Those who are in Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. This part right here. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. When we come to passages like this, we have to ask ourselves, am I bearing fruit that is consistent with the Spirit or am I bearing fruit that is envious, that provokes, that is conceited, and so on? This is a fruit that Cyril is showing us. It is to be like Christ. Let's get to the next question. Why might a Christian not actually see fruit in their life? If we are in danger of being cut off, should we be scared of not producing fruit? The first reason why you may not see fruit in your life is because you are a new shoot. You are a new branch. And that's okay. New branches sometimes don't produce fruit right away. We have a cherry blossom tree that we planted It's got about another four feet to grow before it starts to produce anything. It's okay right now that it's not producing fruit. Likewise, Christians, new Christians, while they have evidence of fruit, repentance, declaring faith in Christ, baptism, those are evidence. What we should not expect from a one-year branch is 20-year fruit. Actually, the danger is when you have a 20-year-old branch and it's producing fruit like a one-year-old branch. That's the actual problem. And so when we get to this text, we can be encouraged that some people may not be showing fruit right now and that's okay because they are a new branch and they need love, attention, nourishment. But when we get to the 20-year-old branches, we need to be saying, hey, what needs to be cut off because you are not producing enough fruit? 
A second reason why a fruit may not grow is because of outward elements. Grapes are funny. They need chill hours. So they need hours where it's not too hot, but it can't also be too cold. Or it can't be too cold. It can't be too hot. They're very finicky that way. They need like the right amount of temperature in order to produce the type of fruit that is abundant. They will produce less fruit in seasons of drought, in seasons of heat. They will produce less fruit in the winter. They pretty much go into recession in the winter. Sometimes we find ourselves in seasons of not producing fruit because of what's happening around us. It's in those seasons what we need to do is trust the vine dresser. See, what a vine dresser will do in seasons like that is he'll take care of those things. In excessive heat, he'll prune the tree in such a way and he'll prepare the the roots in such a way that it can handle it. He'll water it. He'll nourish it. In excessive cold, when it's afraid that it's going to freeze, they'll light fires and blow the heat along the vineyards. Why? Because he's taking care of the plant. In seasons when we may not be producing enough fruit, our job is to trust the vine dresser that he knows what he's doing. Which leads to the third thing, why we might not produce fruit. And I think this is a little bit more common than we like to acknowledge. Is that we actually reject the pruning that the vine dresser is trying to actually do. Somehow we see what God wants to cut from our life We see the bitterness or anger or whatever it is that we know we need to relinquish, but we want to hold on to it because it's been part of us for so long. We actually see those things as a negative thing. We see the things that God's trying to do as a negative thing when all reality is saying, if you want to flourish in this life, allow me to cut this branch off, please. So we get to this section that's a warning about not producing fruit. In all reality, when I look at this passage, I really believe the question that it's trying to ask is not, are you producing fruit or not? It's really trying to ask the question, what type of fruit are you producing? And if you're not producing fruit, why is that the case? I believe this is a warning but it's more introspective about the type of fruit that you're producing. And here's why. We have full confidence that he provides for us then in verse eight and nine, which is the Augustinian perspective. Augustine of Hippo emphasized the importance of abiding in Christ. And he drew attention to the mutual indwelling between Christ and his disciples. What he emphasized is the actual union, the abiding in the vine. So when we're not producing fruit, we can ask ourselves, are we abiding in the vine? And Augustine is going to say, this is actually the most important thing about this whole entire passage. Are you connected? If you are connected then guess what? We have nothing to fear. Why? Because we can't produce fruit on our own. The only one who produces the fruit is the vine. 
Verse eight says, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. As the father loved me, I also have loved you so abide in my love. What he does is a promise, he promises to us that as his father loved him, he loves us as well. That's great assurance when we're walking through seasons of difficulty and the vine dresser needs to prune us. I think this could be reflected in one of Augustine's most famous sayings in the confession, confessions. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Augustine is going to equate abiding with rest and abiding with dwelling. And the reason why he does this is when you look at the overarching scriptures in the Old Testament and the New Testament, you see this word abide happen often. It's pretty regular. Let me give you some samples. Psalm 91 says this, he who dwells, that's the word for abide, in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. One thing, Psalm 27, one thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell, that's the word abide, in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to acquire in his temple. Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Exodus 33 My presence will go with you and I will give you rest, resting, dwelling, abiding. What we find is that these are all similar. They can all be synonyms for the same thing. And all of these words describe something in common. And that is access. We have access to the vine dresser. We have access to God. Hebrews 4 tells us, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. Ephesians 3 tells us, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. 1 John tells us, this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. The beauty of, about being a branch that is connected to the vine is that we have access. We have access to God. There's no middleman. We can go completely to him. This is the relationship that is emphasized. As a father has loved me, I have loved you. I'm gonna ask Mason to come up here. Mason, come on up. Mason's my four-year-old. Come on, bud. Walk up here. You were so excited this morning. I guess he's not gonna wanna do it. Jonathan, you wanna come up here? All right, come on. Run up here. Let's go. Fast. Fast, 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 fast. Well, this is gonna be a lot cuter with my four-year-old. Come here. I gotta hold you. You're heavy. Come here. Okay. All right. So, 
This is Jonathan. He's my seven-year-old, and it's too big for this illustration, but that's okay. I, so, I want to get down. Okay, I'll let you get down. You can go sit down, though. You don't have to be up here. Okay. Never mind. So I'll explain the illustration. Uh, that'll go a little bit better. Um, and here's the idea. When you think about your relationship with God, what do you think of? Because scripture seems to indicate to us here and elsewhere that he is a father who loves his child. He is a father who cares about his child. He's a father that is often asking his child, do you trust me? He's a father that sometimes, like me, has to take toys away. He's a father who sometimes has to correct harmful habits. He's a father who has to set boundaries sometimes. Why? Because he loves his child and he wants to see his child flourish. That is the relationship that we need to think about when we consider God being the vine dresser. He doesn't do it to hurt us. It's a good thing. For those that he loves, he prunes. It's a good thing when the Spirit convicts us in our life. It's a good thing when he's cutting off the diseased parts in our life. It's a good thing when he wants us to bear more fruit. It's a really good thing. But that relationship, a father to a child, was not cheap. It was actually very costly. Jesus goes to the cross. He's hanging there about to die. And he says, Father, why have you forsaken me? Just think about this. The Son of God was forsaken so that you and I would never have to be. We are children who have access to God. This should be something that is just so encouraging to us that in seasons of difficulty, like the disciples were about to walk through, we can look ahead and say the difficulty that I'm about to walk through is not an absence of God, but it's the very opposite. It is God working for me and for my benefit. Imagine if we approached all the seasons of difficulty that we are in with that type of mindset. God, what are you trying to do? And we started also asking the question, how can I bear fruit in this season? As we go into a time of communion, I want us to reflect on a few questions. I'm about to read them. But as I do, if you need the elements for communion, go ahead and just raise your hand. We'll have some deacons bring it by, okay? No worries. By the way, don't be ashamed. I forgot them last service and I was preaching, okay? I had to raise my own hand. Here's here's the questions I want you to think about. Am I producing God-glorifying fruit in my life that is consistent with the vine? Am I becoming more like Jesus in the way that I talk, act, think, 
and make decisions? Am I allowing the Father to prune areas of my life that would be beneficial for me to get rid of? Am I walking in step with the Father? Am I resting in Christ or am I resisting him? So let's take a moment before we take the elements to approach our vine dresser. mentions this for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you on the night when he was betrayed the Lord Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me this is the body of Christ broken for you In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. This is Christ's blood shed for you. He continues to say, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let's stand together and read this confession out. As one body believing in the death and resurrection of Christ. And so, in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Thank you for listening to the Fairview Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org.